0: Back in 2020, uh, there was a a slogan that began to become popular out of necessity, um, and that was the slogan, church is what? Come on. Essential, Essential, right? Church is essential, and it was born out of the the lockdown. It was born out of the shutdown uh, when it began to be told to us that, hey, you know what? All you're allowed to have open or the only businesses that can remain open are the essential businesses. Well, we as believers, and and not wrongly so, said, well, we believe that that church is essential. And I know in California there were bumper stickers made and there were t-shirts made and and everything else along those lines as well. But I think it's important that we understand or we ask ourselves, what does it mean that church is essential? Right? We have to know that. If we're going to say that, we have to be able to back it up and say, well, this is what that means. Is church essential, in other words, once a week? Or maybe for some, church is essential once a month. For others, they might say, you know what? Church is essential on, on weekends, but really not during the rest of the week. I, I, I don't need church to, to get involved in my midweek and in my kids' soccer schedules and in just our, our, our nights together as a family at home. I think we have to ask ourselves, what is meant by church is essential? But to do that, we got to know what the church is, Right? And you may think to yourself, church, and, and you may think things like this. And, and, and if you can't see because the images are somewhat washed out, you got kind of a, like a, a modern worship center up there on your uh, left side there as you're looking at the screen. You've got more of a traditional liturgical one up top there and then kind of a, a run in the middle kind of church-in-a-gym style with some carpet down there on the bottom. And maybe you think, okay, I think church and I think that. I think where I go. And yet that's really not the church, right? Scripturally, biblically, as we hear the church talked about, we hear about the body of Christ. In fact, that's what it's called most often. It's, it's the body of Christ. You may think of the, the metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes about how the, we are many members but one body. And that's really an apt metaphor for the church because the church truly is, we are the, the hands and feet of Christ here on earth, right? That's what's meant when it says in the scriptures that the church fills up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's not suggesting that there was something missing at the cross. The cross is entirely sufficient for our salvation. But we fill up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions in the sense that Acts 1.8 and and following, Christ has now ascended and is back with the Father. We're now the body of Christ here to do the work that he's left behind for us to do, which is carry out the Great Commission. And so as we think about church, church is not where we go, but it's, it's a body that we are a part of. But that body that we are a part of, it comes from a word in the Greek called ekklesia. And ekklesia in the Greek means called out ones. It was used not just of the church, but it was also used of of just political assemblies. It was used of groups that that came together under a common cause and they separated from something else so that you could identify them as unique. That's the word that came to be applied to the gathering of Christians, the body of Christ. They would gather together together And they were called the church, the ecclesia, the the called out ones. But even that, right, we have to ask ourselves, what is that? What does it mean that I'm called out? Called out from what? Well, Scripture gives us the answers to those questions. In fact, in numerous places, it says that we were called out from Colossians 1.13, the domain of darkness. That we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. We were in the domain of darkness. We've been called out from that through Christ or in Colossians 1:21 we've been called out from estrangement from God. We were aliens, we were strangers from God. We were far off from him. We've been called out from that estrangement. Or how about this? We've been called out from hostility towards God. Also Colossians 1:21, same passage, same verse there. We were once hostile in mind. What else have we been called out from as the church? Well, we've been called out from slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to sin. We were enslaved to sin, and and as part of the church, as part of being saved and and brought into the church, we were called out from slavery to sin. What else have we been called out from? How about, I think this is the greatest news, we've been called out from death, right? And not physical death. Unless Christ comes back for his church before then, all of us are going to die at some point. We're all going to meet physical death. But we've been called out from eternal spiritual death. Ephesians 2, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. That's true of every single one of us in this room. So that's what we've been called out from, and there's more that we could get into. But if that's what we're called out from, the next question that is is begged by that is then, what are we called into, or what are we called to? Well, we are called out from and called to, how about this, the the kingdom of light, to contrast the, the domain of darkness, You've been called out from, you've been transferred from the domain of darkness, and you are now citizens of the the, the kingdom of light. We are also called out from estrangement, and now we have been called into adoption. A new relationship with God. We are now sons and daughters of God. That great verse in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says we have received the adoption as sons and daughters by whom we can call out Abba, Father, that familial, intimate term for a dad. And we get to approach God that way. because Why? Because we've been called out from alienation and estrangement and called into His family. We've also been called out from hostility and called into peace with Him. Colossians 1.20, that He has made peace by the blood of His cross. We were once hostile in mind and now we have been made not His enemies but His friends because of what Christ has done for us, what we've been called out from and called into What else have we been called into? We've been called into freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. We were slaves of sin. Go read Romans chapter 6 tonight to be encouraged. That will tell you everything you need to know about the fact that now in Christ we are set free from sin. That's what Paul says. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Right? We've also been called out from death and called into life. That's the great but God in Ephesians 2, four, Yeah, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were hostile in mind. We were children of wrath. We were following the prince of the power of the, the, the course of the world, right, which is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God, right, made us alive together with Christ. So as we think about the church, to be the called out ones is really an appropriate moniker. It's an appropriate uh, title for us. Ekklesia, the, the called out ones, because we have been called out from the world and called into right relationship with Christ and that is chiefly manifested within the local body of Christ the local church that's what God is doing right now he's building his church through building the local church and that's what we read in Ephesians 2:22 in him you are being built together notice that you are being built together you're not being saved to be an island You're not being saved to be a lone ranger in Christianity. You are being built together. This is a community project that God has as he's building his church. He's building it through the building of the local church so that corporately we might be the dwelling place of God. This means for you and me as Christians, our Christian identity is inherently and inseparably related to our place within the local church. What I hope to demonstrate tonight is that church is essential because a highly committed involvement in a local church is foundational to one's Christian identity. Highly committed involvement. I use those words carefully. A highly committed involvement in the local church is foundational to who we are as Christians. That's what Jesus did. Acts 20 says that he bought the church with his blood. He didn't buy one individual Christian. He didn't buy 8 billion individual Christians that were going to live in silos for all of their lives. He bought the church with his blood. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, we are brought into the church. We are brought into fellowship with one another. These next three weeks, we're going to look at this concept of what does it look like to be highly committed to the, the local church, And the way we talk about it is this way. We talk about being those that are attending, connecting, and serving. Attending, connecting, and serving. And we're going to argue, or I am at least, attending is essential. Connecting is essential. And serving is essential. This is basically the the pyramid of membership at Compass Bible Church. If you're wondering what does it look like to belong to Compass Bible Church, here it is. You attend, connect, and serve. And attendance is the foundation of that. We sometimes talk about it this way. When you attend, the chairs are facing forward. When you connect, now we're taking the chairs and we're turning them to face each other. We're building into relationships and community. And then when we're serving, we're taking those chairs and we're stacking the chairs. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. We just read it recently in our daily Bible reading, which I hope you're following along with us. If you're a regular part of our church body here. We've got cards in the back there you can grab that will help you track with where we are and follow along. We've got a daily Bible podcast that we release every single day that Pastor Rod and I get to do, which is just a joy for us to be able to do that together. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, we read this. give you a few more seconds to get there. I know Nehemiah is not one that you, you've got wrinkles in the pages. You, maybe the pages are still stuck together on your Bibles on Nehemiah. Okay. So just to set the stage, it, it, the Israelites are coming back and in, in beginning the return from exile at this point, right? And, and at, at one point, they, they find the, the book of the law of Moses, the Torah, And that's kind of where we pick up because they want the Torah read before all the people. Let's let's read what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8 as we think about the importance of attending, of of being a part, a highly committed part of the local body of Christ. We read this. Now, granted, let me say this ahead of time. This is not the church in view. I get that. But I want you to to pay attention to some of the parallels because I think a lot of the practice of what we do in the church was drawn from what went on in Old Testament Israel. Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 8. Pick up together. It'll also be on the screen, which I didn't tell you ahead of time because I wanted you to turn your Bibles there. But it's on the screen too. So there you go. Nehemiah chapter 8 says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month... He read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people as he opened it, not in his rank, but just literally. I mean, he was standing on a stage is what they're saying there. He was above all the people. As he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Paliah and the Levites, and I'm going to have to apologize to them when I get to heaven and, and meet them because I know I just butchered their names, but hey, it's all right. They helped the people to, here it is, understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reason, the, 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 the meaning. This is the, the, the dawn of expository preaching. Is basically what's going on here. They're reading from the law and they're giving sense to the text. That's my job, y'all, as a pastor. That's any pastor's job. If a pastor's standing up and he's not preaching the word of God, he's abdicating his role. This is what we're to do. We're to read the word and give sense or give understanding to the word. We're to help under uh, people grasp what the word is saying. But but let's go back through here again and just pay attention to a couple things here. Notice it says at the beginning, all the people gathered together. This is a corporate assembly. They weren't podcasting Ezra at this time, going, well, Ezra's my podcast priest. They were together. You're like, well, they, maybe they would have. They wouldn't have. I promise you. They wouldn't have. They were there. They were gathering together. And then notice as it goes on there, he brings the law before the assembly, before all of them. Just the, the, the corporate stress here. And then he goes on and he says, not only before the assembly, but then he defines that. Who was that? The men and the women and those that were able to understand so that would have been the, the children who were old enough to process what he was saying and to follow along and to track and to understand the, the message. And so Ezra is, is preaching before a corporate body gathered together. That's what I want us to see here. And he's doing this in front of the, the assembly with the law of God. Next section. He says, and he read from it. And so this is not Ezra just up there summarizing things saying, hey, this is what I think about life. And let me tell you a funny story about what happened to me the other day. And, and, um, you know, let me tell you some, some platitudes about God. No, he's starting with and beginning with the most important thing, which is not his word, but God's word. And so he's reading from the law, and he's reading again in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And notice the response to this, right? How important this is too. They were there in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They're listening. And Ezra is giving honor to the word. He's standing up on the platform, the stage that they'd made for that purpose, not for him, but for the word and how important and significant it was. We go on to the next section. He opened it and all the people stood, the reverence for what was taking place here. The the word of God was weighty and they they recognized that. And then Ezra's response, he worships God. And then all the people after hearing the word, they worship God, they bow down and worship the Lord. This is significant. This is corporate. This is gathering together the corporate act of worship. And then finally, they help the people to understand. They make sure people are tracking with what God is saying in the law. And so this is expository preaching taking place with the people of Israel. And this is the seedbed from which we gather and which we practice what we do as a church week in and week out. Again, I get this is not the church, but so much of what they're doing is parallel with what we do. Look, doing our DBR, important. I just talked about that. Daily Bible reading, doing that is important, right? And is it good to podcast sermons during your week and listen listen to other podcasts and read other books? Yes. Yeah, that's all good. That's all fine. But let me tell you this. That's not essential as much as gathering together as the, the body of Christ is essential. Caveat, reading your Bible is essential. Let me. Some of y'all are going, oh, flag on the play. Hold on, I've I'm, I'm got him. No, reading your Bible is essential. But your podcast pastor is not your pastor. He doesn't know you. He doesn't know anything about you. And so when he's prepping his sermon week in and week out, guess who he's not thinking about? You. You may like him, you may love him, He may be great at at speaking. He may be a better preacher than anybody else, but he's not your pastor. Your pastor has a unique call on his life to prepare the sermon week in and week out with you in mind because he knows you and he cares about you and he loves you. And he's going to call you together to come and sit before the word of God and hear it preached and hear it explained so that you leave hopefully understanding it a little bit better. That's why attendance is essential to the church. Point number one tonight is this. We gather to know. We gather to know. Here it comes, Bible Church. Our first two distinctives are all about this. The Bible is central. That's what you're going to hear week in and week out. Spoiler alert: you don't like the Bible, you're not going to like what I have to preach, okay? And if you do, come tell me because I got some problems. The Bible is central. And the second thing is we showcase expository preaching. And that's not meant to brag on us. That's meant to brag on the word of God. That's what we mean by we showcase it. What we're here to do, the reason why we gather here and we set up here and the chairs are facing forward is because of the significance of what's being proclaimed, and that is God's word. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And so that's what we do. We gather together as the church to know. And here's the thing, y'all. A church not preaching the scriptures is a church that has abandoned her role. If you have a pastor that stands up and you never open your Bibles, run from that church. That's his job. That's his job. He needs to preach the Word. And a Christian, y'all, on the flip side of that, a Christian not gathering to glean from the Scriptures is a Christian who's neglecting God's primary platform for his or her instruction in the Scriptures. This is where God has given us the the platform for us to gather together to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's word. This is the primary platform for that. The gathering of the body of Christ. I think the scriptures back this up. Paul's instructions to Timothy. What did he say in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2? What are the first three words up there? Preach what? The word. Preach the word. I'm not here to preach the headlines. I'm here to help the Word shed light on the headlines. But man, what I'm going to preach is I'm going to preach the Word. That's what matters here. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Because why? Because the Word is what allows us to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You guys don't need my wisdom. I don't have enough of it. You need the Word of God and the wisdom that the Word of God has. How about this verse? 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy here. He says, look, if I delay, I want you to know how one should behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then how does he define the church? The pillar and buttress of the what? The truth. What is the truth? Jesus tells us in John 17.17, sanctify them in the truth, your what? Your word is truth. So if the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth and the word of God is the truth, for a church not to preach the word is to fail in her role as being the pillar and buttress of the truth. The word is imperative for us and we gather together to hear the word preached. How about this? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Y'all know this one. All scripture is what? God breathed. breathed. It's breathed out by God. That means these are God's words on the page. Guess what's not breathed out by God? My opinions, my stories, my wisdom. What's powerful, what the Spirit is going to use to impact and revolutionize and transform and sanctify your life is the Scripture, is the God-breathed Word. And again, notice, it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. In order that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We gather to know more of this Word. It's why we're here on the weekends. One more. Second Peter 1, 19-21. Peter says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, we've got more of God's revelation than they had back in the Old Testament. We know more, and for you and I sitting here in the church today, are you kidding me? Come on, you've got an app on your phone that takes up less than a gig with the entirety of God's written word on it. Somewhat significant, right? We've got the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns, when the morning star rises in your hearts, when Christ returns, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God. Again, what we're dealing with here is the Word of God. And so why do we gather? We gather to know. Know more of what? To know more of God's Word. Tracking? Awesome. When we gather on the weekends, y'all, we're going to do much like they did with Nehemiah. We're going to open the Word. We're going to read the Word. We're going to explain the Word. We're going to hopefully understand the Word a little bit better. As Christians, our identity is formed by the Word of God, and the local church is God's primary platform for the Word to be administered and applied to our lives. That's where it takes place. But here's the thing, y'all. It's not just that the Word is present at church or explained at church or exposited at church so that we understand it a little bit better. It's that it's, it's being showcased in the church in a way that it should bring and produce within the believer transformation and sanctification in our lives. Sanctification, in other words, that we would be more like Jesus as a result of our interaction with the word than we were beforehand. And so the first thing is we gather to know. The second thing is we gather to grow. We gather to grow. Why is attendance essential? Because as we attend church together and center of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, its impact in our lives is such as, that we are going to grow together as Christians. All right. I'm going to lose this. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay? We good? Can you just mute it so it doesn't rattle around on my back? Okay. Speaking of sanctification, man, it's regressive sanctification taking place with that microphone up here. I need progressive. I need to be more like Jesus, and that microphone's not helping me. So I'll project, all right? Spurgeon said, if you don't have a, if you got a concave chest, no jokes are out there from you bigger guys, you're not fit to be a pastor. I turned 39 this morning. My wife FaceTimed me as I was doing push-ups. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing push-ups. She said, why? Is this because you turned 39? I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm doing push-ups. I'm trying. I'm trying. Anyways, what am I talking about? We're, we're, we're here to grow, okay? Grab your Bibles, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. By the way, you're going, okay, this feels not as much like a normal expository sermon. Bing, bingo. You're on the nose on that. This is not normally how I do things, right? You guys that have been with me, you you know that. We're going to be, when we launch, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John. We're going to start at John 1. We're not going to finish until we're done with John 21, okay? We're going to be expositing verse by verse, line by line all the way through. This is unique. This is more of a topical and yet still expository because we're going to the Word and then explaining the Word as we're doing this, okay? All right. But we gather to grow, all right? If it's true, and it is, that this book, the Bible, contains the written word of God, and it's been preserved for us throughout history, then we would do well to know what God wants us to do with it, yes? What's God's intention for us? How about Ephesians chapter 4? Are we there? Hopefully you got Ephesians. God's electric power company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay? G-E-P-C. That's one way to track there. That's four books. If you aim for the kind of the middle of the New Testament, you'll hit one of those, I'm sure, okay? God's election. So Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. I don't know who put that in my mind when I was in high school, but it just stuck with me forever. So thank you, whoever that was. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, let's read. It says, it's on the screen again. Some of you guys are tracking with me and you're going, oh, look, it's on the screen. I don't have to turn. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna put one in next week and you're gonna be out there going, oh, it's not there. I should have turned in my Bible. I'll catch you <laughs> 11 and 12 he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers why to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what the word is supposed to do in our lives because we gather, again, to grow. We gather so that we aren't the same as we were when we first came. We gather so that there's a progressive, more uh, sanctifying nature in our lives than, than there was previously that as, as we spend more time with the people of God under the Word of God, we look more like Jesus than ever before. And that's what we want. That's what our aim is. That's what our goal is. That's what my goal is as I preach, is to help us be more like Jesus, starting with me in my office all week long, than we were on the front end of that sermon. But let's look at at Ephesians 4.11, and what does that growth look like again? Well, he gives the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, okay? Apostles and prophets, if if you're wondering where we're at on that, and I understand there's differences, but some of you are here to find out who are we as a church, and so this is good, right? We would say the office of the apostle is no longer in function, okay? The the apostle was the, the eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. The apostle Paul was the last apostle, what he means when he says, "me," He appeared last of all to me as one untimely born. He, he was not with the original twelve. He's the, the last apostle. The apostle Paul is. There's no apostles anymore. Pastor Rod and I, we're not apostles. You may say, Well, how about lowercase a because it means sent one? I'm talking office role, okay? Apostles, no longer in operation. Okay, prophets. This one gets a little stickier, but if you're wondering, where are we? Is the gift of prophecy still in? Practice. Some people would say yes, and they compare it to the gift of preaching. I think those are separate. I do not believe that the gift of prophecy is still in operation today. I don't believe that anybody is, is bringing revelation from God that is not already given to us in the 66 books of the Bible. Okay, We have God's word, and we've got it, and it's sufficient for us. And so that, some people, what they mean by prophecy is a brother or sister in Christ who comes and speaks scripture over your life. That's not prophecy when we think about prophecy. Prophecy is foretelling something that's yet to happen. It's giving additional revelation from God. It's hearing from God and providing new revelation. That's not happening anymore, okay? So the apostles and the prophets, though, they were given, and in in summary, even, he's referencing by the prophets kind of the, the Old Testament scriptures as well. He's saying they were given and the apostles were given, and then he gives some other offices, too, the evangelists. Are there still evangelists today? Yes, people are still out and about evangelizing. There are people with the gift of evangelism. All of us have the call to evangelize. But then there's the person that you know them. They're waiting in line at Starbucks. They're tapping their person on in front going, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Hey, I, I noticed that that uh, when you got up from your table, you, you did the sign of the cross. Are, are you a Christian? Hey, I, where, where are you from? What's your name? Would you like to come to church with me this week? See, there's... there's there's those people that are just bulldogs when it comes to Jesus, right? They've got the Great Dane approach. When, when my wife and I go on a walk together, there's a, a house that we pass by, and there's these two gigantic Great Danes, which is an oxym- which is a, a redundant statement, right? There's, not a, there's no like, miniature Great Dane. There is I want to see that dog. But the massive ones, and they run up to the fence, and they're all blustered. They're just barking. But if you've ever been around a, a Great Dane, and I haven't been around a ton, but I've been around some, they, they just come up and they just want to slobber all over you, right? <laughs> They just love you so much and they just want you to know how much they love you. There's some people that are that way with the gospel. They're going to everybody they can find and they're taking the Great Dane approach to letting them know that, that Jesus loves them. Not licking them, but with the gospel, right? In the best way possible. So the office of evangelist is still there. But let me talk the last two offices there. Shepherd, teacher. Okay? Those are absolutely still in effect and that's what's going on in the church. That's what's going on in the church. That's your pastors. Those are the people that are administering the word to you on a weekly basis. Those are the people that are caring for your souls, that are shepherding you. And they're there, and why did God give them? Well, he says as much here. He gave these offices, these people, to equip the saints. What does that mean? That means to get you ready, to make you complete and and qualified for something. And how are they doing that? They're doing that through the administration of the word of God, through preaching the word. They are equipping the saints for what? Well, for the work of the ministry. I've said this before. You've heard it from me before. If you're new with us tonight, I'll say it for you again. This church is not just about two pastors doing the work of the ministry. This church is about the body of Christ doing the work of the ministry together. Our job as pastors is to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry in order that the body of Christ, as he goes on to say, would be built up. The building up, the edification of the body of Christ. Well, how long do we have to do that for? Until until what? Yeah, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and into mature manhood. Anybody there yet? My hand's not up, by the way. I'm just asking for volunteers. Yeah, no, right? This is the rest of our lives. This is, we're doing this forever until Christ comes back for his bride. This is what the church is supposed to do to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, you may be going, well, I think I'm a pretty mature man. You ain't here, right? And neither am I. We got a long way to go until we look like Jesus to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. Here's my commitment to you and Pastor Rod's commitment to you as pastors. We're gonna do all we can to equip you to look more and more like Jesus on on a regular basis. And the way that we're gonna do that is, again, not through our wisdom, but through the word of God. And so we gather to know, because in gathering to know, we're gathering to grow. Why do we need this? So that we might be protected. So that we're not going to be the, the, the children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of, of doctrine and the, the, the craftiness of, of human schemes, the human cunning there. We're going to preach the word because it's a safeguard. Remember the Apostle Paul would say that to you? I, I, I've said this to you all before, but you know what? I'm going to say it to you again because there's no trouble for me. And what did Paul say? It's a safeguard for you. Because the more the word is preached and the better knowledge and the better grasp the people of the church have of the word of God, the safer that church is. So we gather to grow. Y'all, when you are not here, because remember we're talking about attending, attending. And why it's essential. When you are not here, you're removing yourself from that protective and transformative grace that God has provided for all Christians. You're opting out of that. In a world where our attention is so often given to trivial matters like social media and politics and various hobbies and sports teams, and I'm not writing those off as not important. They are important. They're not as important as what we're doing right here and right now. Okay? Okay? They're just not. What we're doing right now and right here is we are giving ourselves over to the the scalpel of God's word that is held by the the hand of the divine surgeon. Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word is what does that. And so we gather to allow it to do that work in our lives. The Spirit takes the Word and applies the Word. We gather to grow. We gather to, to, to know. We gather to grow. Some of y'all who are the, those kids, in, and I'm like this too, so don't, I'm with you guys. You're already thinking, okay, the first two rhyme, the third one's going to rhyme. What is it? And you've got words written down on your notes right now, and you're ready to circle one. or you, Some of you are bold, and you already wrote one down. You're going, I think this is it, and I, I just, this is going to be it. We'll see. I had a seminary professor who used to talk about the church this way, and I loved it, and it stuck with me. We talked about the church as the body of Christ. And he built on that metaphor this way. He said, as the church, as the body of Christ, we gather on the weekends together to breathe in in fellowship and instruction so that when we leave, we exhale on mission. The body breathes in in fellowship and instruction in order to be more effective at exhaling on mission. So we gather to know, we gather to grow, and here you go. Maybe you got it. We gather to go. We gather to go. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It sounds like that doesn't make any sense. You gather to go. Well, yes, we do. Because that's God's design for the church, right? Why are we still here otherwise? If, if not to go. And, and here's the thing. He's given the church as this oasis for us, as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, so that every weekend we can come and be edified and encouraged and built up together. And I've said this before in different contexts. I'll say it again here for everybody. This S- Sunday mornings, once we get to Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, our gathering together on the weekends is not for, or not aimed at, I should say, unbelievers. Okay? Okay. It's aimed at the church. It's aimed at Christians. That's God's design. Does that mean uh, unbelievers are unwelcome? That's not what I said. But I'm just telling you, my aim and my purpose in preaching the word and my preparation is going to be primarily for those that are believers. That's what the church is for because God has given us this as an oasis for us to come together and be edified and to be built up and to be encouraged so so that when we leave, we are more effective missionaries and ambassadors for Christ. Right? That's that's the point here. Because, man, we we are all of us going out into a world that hates us. And praise God that that He didn't design all of this for us just to be, like, white-knuckling, holding on for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years God gives you as a Christian, until you get to finally go and be at ease in heaven with Him. Now, yes, that's our ultimate destination, and that's where we're going to find full and final rest and peace. But this is a, a glimpse of that. This is a, a microcosm of that that we get to experience together week in and week out to recharge as we breathe in together on, in, in fellowship and instruction to be able to be more effective as we breathe out together. Acts chapter 1, again, in our daily Bible reading, we've been here, we've been reading this. I want you to think of two verses in Acts, and I'm going to try to make it easy for you. Acts 1.8 and Acts 8.1. Can you remember those? Just flip them. Acts eight and one. Because I want you to see how the church plays a role in what Jesus is doing here. Acts 1.8, the disciples are there with Jesus. He's risen, and he's risen indeed, right? I was wondering if I was going to get any. And None of my liturgical brethren are out there, right? So he, he is risen. There it is, yeah. He's risen, and, and now he's with the disciples, and the disciples are asking Jesus, is now the time? Okay, we did it. We went through the cross. That was... Mm, can we not do that again? Like, it would be great not to have the cross thing again because that was scary, especially Peter. Peter's there going, Jesus, can we, can we not do that again? And they're going, is now the time that you're going to establish the kingdom? Is, now, is, it, is it now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the day or time or the time or hour. But here's what I want you to know. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, church. Church, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, in Frisco, Texas. You're going to be my witnesses, church. You see, that was God's design for the church. Well, the church launched in Jerusalem. And that's where they were. And they were hanging out in Jerusalem. And they were growing. And God was doing crazy things. He was adding thousands to their number week in and week out. Right? I mean, the church is just blowing up here in Jerusalem. But guess what's not being reached at this point? The rest of Judea, Samaria, Frisco, Texas, we're not being reached. And so what did God do? Well, God, in his sovereign purview, allowed a guy named Saul to come along and the, the opponents, the enemies of the church at the time. And they started, it says in the text, ravaging the church. They start just going hostile on the church, violence to the church, right? Stoning Stephen to death, imprisoning Christians. What, in the meantime, is God doing? Well, let me get to the right slide here. Here we go. Are we there? Yeah, now we're here. Okay. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And notice what happens. What happens here? They're all scattered. The church is throughout all the regions of Judea and where? Samaria. You see, God's going, hey, church, remember what my job is for you. My job is for you to go and reach people for Christ. So we gather to know, we gather to grow, and we gather to go. That's what we're doing. Otherwise, as soon as you're saved, man, if God doesn't have work for us to do here in the church, as soon as we are saved, he should just call us home to be with him. Why else are we here? Witnessing and exercising faith, those are the only two things you're going to do better here on earth and sin. You're going to do better here on earth than you'll be able to do in eternity. Everything else you'll be way better at in the presence of God. So why would you leave us here? Because those two things are important. Faith is the muscle that, that we're building right now. And we need to be effective at witnessing and reaching people for Jesus. Okay, So we gather so that we can be encouraged and built up and instructed. We can know more about the scriptures and have a greater understanding. So that what? So that, that then causes us to grow and we then are better equipped to do the work of ministry that God has for us to do. And part of that work of ministry that God has for us to do is that we would go. So we gather to know in order to grow so that we can be more effective as we go. You walked in tonight and you got one of these. Most of you did. If you didn't, then uh, we've got plenty, I think. Grab one. You're going, why do I have this? That's a what? What is that? That's a... Some of you, some of you guys, I know, I know who aced the SATs because some of y'all were like, that's a Lego. Others were like, it's a keychain. And then there was like three people that were like, it's a Lego keychain. <laughs> like, you got the 1600. I know you did. Or whatever the number is today. Yeah, it, it, the point is it's a Lego, right? And that's what I want you to think about. What good is a Lego by itself? It, nobody's... Nobody, there's some, probably somebody out there. Most people don't order one single Lego and are like, I, I just want this one Lego and I'm not going to do anything with it. It's just going to be a Lego that I'm going to have. And you invite, can you imagine that growing up? Hey, do you want to come over and play with my Lego? <laughs> you got more? No, just that one. Okay, dude, I don't think you're doing it right, right? Y'all, I want you to think of that as, as what it's like to be a Christian without the church. That's what it's like to be a Christian and not be attending a local church body. You're a singular Lego. You're not fulfilling what God's purpose is for you. But what do Legos do? They build and they connect. And they they become something when they are united together. And they fulfill a purpose, don't they? Next week, we're going to get into what it looks like for us to connect. Because attending is essential because we attend so that we know, grow, and go. But the second thing is, and we'll talk about this next Sunday night, our last night in the sweltering heat. Thank you so much for being here and putting up with it. There's water back there. You can just dump it on yourself afterwards if you want to. Next week, we're going to talk about why connecting is essential, because that's that next step. If you're here visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. And maybe you are attending a church somewhere. I pray that you are. But if that's all you're doing, even if it's not here, let me just plead with you. If it's where you are, take that next step that we're going to talk about this next week and realize that attending is great. It's the, it's the foot in the door. It's the, it's the first step towards it. But God has something so much bigger for you through his bride, through the body of Christ. And that's what awaits us with the connection piece. But that's next week. And you're going to have to come back to find out more about that. Let me pray as we wrap. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the church. Thank you, thank you, God, that you did not save us to just be solitary, siloed Christians trying to survive this hostile world by ourselves without you. God, I'm so grateful for these brothers and sisters that are here tonight. Thank you for them. Thank you for the story that each and every one of them have and how you are using them in a unique way to reach people for Christ and how you've gifted them in such a way that as we come together as the church, you're going to do things here at this church. You're going to build it in such a way you're going to reach people. You're going to serve people. You're going to impact the community in ways that none of us could do by ourselves and yet together. God, I I just can't wait to see what you're going to do here. And so, God, I I pray that we would be faithful. I, I, I pray and ask humbly that as a pastor I would be faithful to the word, And make sure that the word is always the authoritative message that's delivered and never my agenda. So that we can be faithful as we attend to know, grow, and go. We thank you, we praise you for all this and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.